3: miss something from the todd feinberg show listen to the podcast on wtic.com slash podcast oh yeah yeah it's kind of heavy stuff this uh revisiting this Uvalde stuff but i just want to let ezra klein from the new york times make this point once again about how he sees the failure of government he's a believer in government and a pusher of big government all the time but this is how he talks about the Democrats Liberalism. and
2: it's poignant stuff. Liberalism's failure to build enough has both like made its goals often unachievable, has worsened inequality and has made the right wing stronger. so I really think trying to understand what has gone wrong in the way liberals run government and trying to think about what lessons and what kind of lenses can be taken out of it, such that people can begin to fix that and begin to turn the dials in the other direction. My basic view is that it's a bias against getting things done, a bias towards inaction over action, operating at a million different levels in decision-making vectors and nodes. And you kind of just got to figure out how to create a a perspective that turns it back on all of those simultaneously because people start looking at the problem to be solved as can government deliver the things it says it will deliver.
3: Exactly. Now, that's Ezra Klein from the New York Times. He's a podcaster and opinion writer. He's a liberal who's talking about the failure of liberalism, how liberalism, because of its own big regulatory state, has regulated itself out of the ability to do the things it claims that big government can do, but big government has created all these mechanisms to stop things from happening, and even liberals don't know how to trigger them into efficacy. That great word from the virus era. 860 <laughs> the Todd Feinberg Show, live from the NJ Diet Studios, on WTIC News Talk 1080. Hey-ho, nice Supreme Court ruling today on religion and schools. Supreme Court ruled that Maine cannot exclude religious schools from a state tuition program. There's this town in Maine that doesn't have schools so it contracts with public schools in a neighboring town or it offers rebates to parents sending their kids to a private school it offers a a program of reimbursement a gift certificate program which is what i advocate a voucher program which i i think is a beautiful thing and and this gives parents a lot of choices but It says you can't send your kid to a religious school. So families there sued, saying, why should we be blocked from sending our kids to a religious school? And I understand a lot of people have strong reaction about the idea that that public money might be used, tax dollars might be used to send students to a school that teaches religion. But so what? If the parents have choice about where to send their kids, why shouldn't they be able to send their kids to a school that teaches from a point of view of Christianity or whatever the religion is of their choice, whatever the school is teaching? Why is it anybody's concern? But Conversely, what we have seen is exactly what it is that the public schools care about. They have their own religion, the government does, their own commitment to ridiculous teachings. So you could sit there and say, oh, you know, the Christian stuff or the Muslim, whatever the school is, it's ridiculous, this religious stuff. You could say that. But as is usually the case with these arguments between private sector and public sector provision of services, that the bias that exists in public sector services is enormous. So there's a strong bias towards teaching children uh, about having sex at an early age, to teach children about transgenderism before they know what gender is, to teach kids through the prism of critical race theory, that is, teaching the belief to raise kids through their education to understand America to be a bad place that is irredeemable. And the, and the people in it are irredeemable, at least the white ones, because they're white supremacists, because of the history of slavery upon which a uh, portion of our society was built. So I think this always comes up when you look at these cases, that what, what is the problem with sending a kid to a religious school and reimbursing through the same dollars that it would reimburse any other school? I can't see a single argument for it, but if you have one, I'd love to hear it. And I'd like to hear your reaction to this ruling. We've waited a long time, I think, to get some rational responses from the Supreme Court on cases like this. Two families in Maine that send or want to send their children to religious schools challenged the law saying it violated their right to freely exercise their faith because it wouldn't let them send their kids through this tuition reimbursement program, the voucher program, to a religious school. And if other families can send their kids to whatever schools they choose, private or public, then why should religion be discriminated against? One of the schools at issue in the case Temple Academy in Waterville, Maine, says it expects its teachers to integrate biblical principles with their teaching in every subject and teaches students to spread the word of Christianity. But again, uh, people, liberals I know would be offended at this. They would say, oh, well, the public money shouldn't be used to support a school that is teaching through the prism of christianity and belief in god and belief in religion but why not where is the harm they have to be taught through some prism and the most important thing is to make sure that the power to make these kinds of decisions isn't made in the context of politics only you don't want to give politicians control over what your child is being taught and this is the crisis we face today. You want parents to be able to decide what their kids are being taught and we will be so much better off as a country if we can find a way to dismantle this government control of education. It, it, it's wrongheaded in every way and all the problems we have with education in this country should should have made it clear years ago that public education is a crisis for America that we need agile, responsive school systems that can adjust to the needs of the moment and not be in the situation where they are unable to adjust because the politics is so stilted that it doesn't allow change to happen. It's the only place in our society I can think of where we do something so ridiculous as to uh, take something as important as education and to give it over to special interest groups, and that's what we've done. Where else would we do that? Please tell me. Where else would we do that? Eight six zero five two two nine eight four two. I Anyway, this has me celebratory, and there's nothing right-wing about that. It's actually American-wing. That is the American way. The American way is... To look at government and the rigged system and say that's the worst thing we could do is let bureaucrats and politicians decide what your kid is going to be taught in school based on political pressure from special interest groups instead of what you want for your kid. We should all celebrate this. As aggressively and with as much excitement as we can, and and I think it only makes the world better. Anybody have an argument with that? I know that liberals, there that that liberals are well trained because I grew up in a very liberal town, and I grew up around educators, and my mother was a college professor. I know all the biases that are inbred about how uh, they look down upon. Religious beliefs and the people who hold them is kind of a snobbery, but also a sense that that uh, rulings like this are a threat To democratic principles, but I just think they have it wrong that their fear causes them To stand in the way of things that are utterly harmless, but offer protection from the kind of bad outcomes that we have all over our society today, because really, again, the harm that they're concerned about with this ruling is that parents would be able to send their kids to a school that taught through the prism of a philosophy that the parents believed in. How bad can that be? Eight six zero five two two nine eight four two. Bill and Granby. Hi.
4: Hello, Todd. First of all, I want to tell you that the. Uh Person who killed Ashley Babbitt was Lieutenant Michael Byrd.
3: Okay. He was so why a did you want to tell police me that?
4: officer. And he got a, He and all the other capital police officers got medals. Uh, the second thing is the after-action report that we're getting from uh, Uvalde. It never happened with the Pettit murders. We still don't know why the daughters got raped and burned. The Bristol Police and the State Police have never come up with a report.
3: And why do you think why do you think that is?
4: Um, Because they screwed up. (laughs) (laughs) the truth? I think that there were a lot of missteps. I think there were. They the police apparently stayed outside the house just like they did in Uvalde and didn't go in, and the daughters got tortured.
3: Yeah, so there was a there was a cop sitting outside in the car and watched them come back from the bank. Didn't the mother get taken to the bank by one of the uh, one of the invaders, and they came back to the house, and the uh, the cop sat in the car and didn't do anything.
4: Yes, uh, they apparently she Mrs. Pettit had let one of the tellers know that she was in trouble, and the tellers called the police, and then that's how that all happened. That's right. So um, the the other thing I want to I want to mention is that the interviews on WTIC with Bob Stefanowski always happen at ten minutes. At what? At ten minutes of the last hour of either your show or uh, one of the morning shows, and there are never there is never any opportunity to question Bob on his comments. It's ten minutes of six. On Monday, thanks Bob. Talk to you next week and there are, there are no comment there's no commentary on what he has to say or what he doesn't say
3: well what that that's, when uh I have had him in for full hours where we've taken calls, and I will do more of that for sure, but those are just kind of quick hits uh like what we did with leora levy uh a little while ago and uh, with no calls involved, but uh, certainly there's no. I, I'm desirous of having people be able to interact. Uh, there are just some interviews that are short and um, and not involving callers, and other ones that do.
4: Okay. Well, the thing is, it's a standing invitation with you on Monday afternoons with him. Yes. And and it just seems sort of disingenuous that nobody gets a chance to to question him. I mean, when, when he's when he is on the radio and he said. You know, I just spent six bucks on gasoline for my truck. You know what? Nobody believes him. He doesn't care. And he has to let the people know that he doesn't, that he cares about us. And he doesn't.
3: Well, how do you know that?
4: The last time that Bob Stefanowski went to the grocery store Mm -hmm. and he's returned his bottles or put a piece, piece of steak back in the case... Because he couldn't afford it, was never. Well, he does not understand. I'm a regular guy. Yeah, I'm working hard, trying to do the best for my family. And if I have to put something back in the case, I do it because I have to make other choices. Sure, I have to put gas in my car to get to work to be able to buy the other stuff. All right, but doesn't have to do that. But he, but, pay, he pays $38,000 a year in property taxes.
3: Hang on a sec. Hang on a sec. I get your point. You made your point. Let me respond okay. to it. There are sure. two guys who are uh, in, holding the Democrat and Republican nominations or will be right. in this campaign. Ned Lamont was born worth fortunes from inherited yep. money that came down from his great grandfather from Wall Street, right. tycoonhood. I that. So. All, that's all, that's what we have to compare to versus a guy who grew up in, um, East Haven, I think, and then moved to New Haven or North Haven. I'm not sure of the town, but you know, lower middle class to middle class kind of upbringing. So it, that provides some kind of contrast. But if you want to pick on somebody for their richness, you've got Bob who earned his richness, which is way smaller richness than, uh, Ned Lamont's richness. I don't happen to think, Having a lot of money is the issue. I think. What kind of policies do you favor? Do you favor ones that are of of, uh, of of plunder and big government taking all the wealth out of the economy, or somebody who believes in economic activity belonging in the hands of the people who cause it?
4: Well, I think that we all have to understand that if Bob does not have a Republican legislature, none of the things he wants to do are going to happen. So the Republicans have really, have, really have to push on getting elected officials in the legislature.
5: Well, that is true. Them,
3: that is true. But a lot of this stuff is circular. If you don't ever have a, a, a two-party system, if it's always one-party rule, which is basically how the state operates now, with Democrats controlling both branches of the legislature, passing any legislation they want, and the governor basically being able to get them to pass almost anything he wants, then they're all lying to us. They're all covering up. And they're, and most of the people voting for something have no idea what they're voting on.
4: Republicans included?
3: Yes. Nobody tells them. They're just asked to vote. But, but it's controlled by Democrats. Bill, hang on a second. Uh, Bob Stefanowski is calling on the other line. I guess I guess he's driving around listening. Hi, Bob.
6: Hey, Todd and Bill. I appreciate your question. I, I just wanted to... I do know what it's like. I grew up in New Haven. My dad worked at the phone company for 40 years. We went on one vacation a year at a Poland Spring, Maine. You know, I'm not embarrassed about... More people should have the opportunity... That I had in Connecticut I went to the public schools my parents saved money and yeah I've been successful but we still by the way we still do have bottles and cans in the garage and my wife is on my back to to, to bring them back so please just because I've I've been successful don't interpret that that I don't understand what I'm a blue-collar guy I know what you're going through I've been through it and that's why I'm running for governor to fix it
3: all right, I can't have you both on the air at the same time, which is part of the reason we don't take calls um, when when you're on the air. But uh, anything else that you can tell Bill to make it clear to him that, that that's a kind of bias that, I mean, what what should he look at for signals, I guess is the question, for what kind of person you are? How does one perceive that?
6: I think you got to look a at the background, and and I don't I don't fault Governor Lamont for his grandfather founding J.P. Morgan. It's fine, but when you've never had to struggle to make a rent payment, when you've never to Bill's point, when you've never had to, I can remember going to the store and picking the knockoff shoes rather than the Nikes, and all of my friends had the Nikes, and my dad said, "Listen, we can't afford it. I'm sorry." So I just think unless you've lived through that, I, I guess it'd be two things, Todd. I've been successful here. I got a great family, and and. I had great parents, and I had a lot of luck, and I am thankful for that. But I'm not embarrassed about being successful, and and that's why I'm running. More kids should have the opportunity that I had. Democrats have ignored um, the cities and and, and some of the suburbs for decades now, and that's going to change when I'm governor. We're going to get the public schools back. We're going to give people opportunity, and I hope that there's 150 Bob Stefanowski's 20 years from now. That's what I'm trying to do.
3: All right, Bob. Thank you for calling in. Okay appreciate you. you being spontaneous like that. And let me go back to Bill. Bill, we just have a minute, but I wanted to give you a chance to respond to what you heard.
4: Um, we've heard it all along. We heard it four years ago. And I just think that he has to be more resonating with the people. He doesn't do that. He really doesn't. I mean, what, what he said, what he in New Haven or East Haven where he was getting knockoff sneakers, that was 50 years ago. We're looking at what's happening now, and
3: all right, Bill. Thank you. I'm sorry, I ran late. I lost track of the time. We've got to get a traffic update on WTIC. His
0: karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt, Hi-ya! and even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the three percent annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams—thanks for everything, mom and dad—will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone.
1: Why?
2: Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this. Why? A lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why?
7: Todd Feinberg
3: Show. Listen to the podcast on WTIC.com slash podcast. Tuesday afternoon, thanks for being here. Let's talk to Dave in Glastonbury. Hey Dave. Hey, Todd, I just listened to the news. I just got off the golf course,
8: and I and the first thing I hear is the WTIC news. Once again, presenting the Jan- uh the January sixth hearings. And when is WTIC gonna understand that nobody is cross examining these witnesses?
3: Um There's, yeah, I I can't speak to the news coverage. I didn't hear what they said, but what is your objection to what you heard?
8: Because they, they have this guy from Arizona saying that he was pressured into take into into uh changing the vote by President Trump. How do we know he's not lying like everybody else that has appeared at that hearing has?
3: Well, uh, plus, so your point is correct. This is not a two-sided hearing. This is a one-sided hearing. And it's not really a hearing. It's more of a TV show that's heavily produced and edited and constructed in such a way as to reach political outcomes rather than legal ones. So absolutely, really, there's no reason why anybody should take any of it at face value.
8: Well, if it's what the what the media has to do, they, uh, like WTIC News, they have to stop. They have to be objective about it too. That there's nobody cross-exam. Can you imagine this guy, if uh, Jim Jordan or some of these other former prosecutors got at him, they'd fold like a cheap tent. Like a cheap suit.
3: Well, plus there there also aren't aren't um, witnesses with other experiences being offered up. The idea right. here is to brainwash America into Absolutely. one outcome and, and just, one outlook.
8: You know, Connecticut is far enough left that they don't need the local news stations to take and uh feed into this uh malarkey.
3: Well, be thankful. Just, be thankful that you can call up and uh, get your own absolutely. voice onto the airwaves,
8: right? And I appreciate it. I, it just irritates me that that's all I hear. Nothing about you know that these guys are, as you said, putting on a TV a reality show rather than anything factual.
3: Yes, a sure. reality show is a characterization I've used myself. Thank you for that, Dave. Good to hear from you. Eight six zero five two two nine eight four two. By the way, news organizations really have no other. I mean, there's a total takeover, near total takeover of our news funnels so that there's only one story going out on these hearings for the most part. Now back to the Todd Feinberg Show, live from the NJ Diet Studios on WTIC News Talk 1080. Let's talk to Larry in Bridgeport for a moment, then we'll get to Red Janky. Hello, Larry.
5: Hey Todd, hi. Uh, enjoying your show as always. Um, the gentleman who called up right before the uh, bottom of the hour, and he was kind of he was kind of going after Bob a little bit, you know, criticizing Bob. Kind of dug in. Yeah, I'm going to vote for Bob, okay? I think Bob is a smart guy. I think he's running on certain policies that uh, that Connecticut desperately needs, okay? Um, If it wasn't for COVID masking a lot of the problems that are evident to anybody who has a brain in their head, um, you know, uh, COVID has masked some of these problems. And people are brainwashed by the local media media and the mainstream media uh, into thinking that the Democrats are doing a good job, which they're not. Bob actually did not run a great campaign last time, and he lost, and you can correct me, I think he lost to Lamont by about 30,000 votes, maybe 35,000. I think it was
3: 40, about 2%.
5: Okay, so he loses by 40,000 votes. But Oz Grebo, the spoiler, okay, who... Came in and again, I don't even know what. All right,
3: don't worry about on. all those details. Just make the point you want to make because well, that, well, that happened Griebel,
5: years ago. Oz Griebel got sixty-five, seventy thousand votes. That, that's, that's no, but the what's the point
3: you want to make about Bob?
5: I want to make the point that I think Bob just has to surround himself with certain people who can help him. I like Tom Scott. I like David Stearns. These are smart people who can help him, who are experienced people, okay, whether it's in business or state government, they can help him and give him advice. Uh, I just think he has to surround himself with good people and uh, talk the issues. That's what he has to do and get rid of the guy there who's the uh, head of the Senate up there, Looney. He's been up there for half a century. I mean, come on. It's crazy.
3: Well, he's a, uh, you know, he's a Democrat. So that's, that's in the hands of the voters. Thank you, Larry, for the call. Red Janky joins us now on WTIC from the-red-line.com. Hello there, Red. Hey, Todd. How are you? What are you thinking about this week?
7: Well, um, last week or so, um, the chairman and CEO of uh, the nation's largest bank, Jamie Diamond, um, got up and said, we're headed into a hurricane. Speaking of the financial. Yes, in
3: response to a question about dark clouds, right? And he said, no, it's it's not dark clouds, it's a hurricane.
7: Well, he's seeing dark clouds. Dark clouds are are not the real. I think it's the winds and the rain that are the main features of a hurricane, not the color of the clouds. But uh, we can debate that offline. No, no, that
3: was the point. He was being—he was in the question. The questioner was saying, oh, it looks like the economy is going into dark clouds. And Jamie Dimon was upping the ante, saying it's not dark clouds. We've got a storm going on here.
7: Well, I'm with him on that. Um, I've uh, paid a visit to the eye of the storm uh, at least one um, swirling Uh, feature of the eye of the coming hurricane Um, and and let me share this with you over the last 12 months through May 31st the federal government incurred gross interest cost on outstanding federal debt of $666 billion dollars wow that's devilish It's a good thing it totaled to 666, right?
3: That's a pretty scary number.
7: That is a scary number. Now, let's go through a little math here that's very simple. There are about $3.7 trillion of outstanding Treasury bills. That's a part of our national debt. And... They are increasing uh, in interest rate in cost rate by 3% by the end of this year. The Federal Reserve Bank has already increased uh, short-term interest rates by 1.5%, and they have announced guidance that they will increase the rates another 1.5%. That's 3%. That represents, on an annualized basis, another $111 billion of interest expense.
3: So we'll put this into uh, less uh, weedy terms and into more generalized ones. What is it you're trying to tell us?
7: Let, let's go to the heart of the matter. Um, I. It's very easy to make a case that the nation's annual interest cost is going to explode over $1 trillion dollars within a year or two per year Compare that to what we spend on national defense annually over the last twelve months seven hundred and fifty billion medicare seven hundred billion
3: well more important though is is so you're saying we will go to one trillion from where we are today or we will add one trillion to where we are today
7: we will go to $1 trillion. Over on the 12, trailing 12 months, we are at $666 6, 6 billion. Yep.
3: So the, another $300 and, and, and change, uh, a exactly. billion dollars, which is a big hit. And that means that, that that's a bigger portion of annual spending that is going to debt than can be used for things that America needs to do we are
7: we have been living beyond our means and now the chickens are coming home to roost
3: but but we have a government now that operates in the land of unreality all the time i mean the whole My the whole fiscal you, you yes can, you're saying the the stuff's hitting the fan now right
7: yeah i mean you can delude yourself so long until reality smacks you in the face
3: Yes, but what will force them to face this reality? They didn't face reality over through the COVID years, for example. They loved the idea of being unreal during COVID.
7: COVID um, was the final um, precipitator. Uh, not This is a long-term um, secular increase that we have um, taken on by diluting ourselves uh, as to what we can spend money on without money coming in mm-hmm. in the federal government.
3: So you're and saying we're going to have to cut spending, and that's unavoidable?
7: Well, what we're spending it on is interest. Anybody with a credit card knows that when you have too many credit cards with, and you're maxed out on those credit cards, what happens?
3: Well, you have to cut spending so you can pay the interest. Is that So you're saying that the federal government will start being responsible next year because the debt will go up $335 billion, roughly. But why would $335 billion in an in, in increase in cost, why would that cause them to suddenly be responsible? I don't see how that's enough money.
7: I don't think the printing presses can run that fast.
3: So you feel like the um, in order to because they don't really print it. It's more like just dumping numbers of of dollars into the economy uh, digitally. And and every time they're dumping new dollars into the economy, they're devaluing the dollars that we have in our pockets. In other words, they are causing inflation. So in order to get inflation under control, Red, is that what will force them to be more responsible?
7: No, I'm. I am being, uh, forgive me, I'm being much more simple-minded. I'm saying that our interest expense is rising to a level mm-hmm. where it is going to crowd out spending on everything else. Um, we, are, we are coming close to, you know, people have been saying, deficit hawks have been saying for decades that the path we're on is unsustainable. Okay? An unsustainable path reaches its terminus. We are approaching the terminus.
3: Except that with our federal government, because it can print money, because it can just dump imaginary money into the marketplace, it's it's been doing this kind of... Spending for years. In 08, since 08, the crash in 08 that almost took down the economy, they've been pumping all this. I forget what they call that stuff, that fiscal. Um, it's quantitative easing. Quantitative easing, yes. You know, they've now been doing
7: this. The Federal Reserve is engaging in quantitative tightening
3: in order to stop inflating right. the currency. Okay, so the key moment then, we're talking to Red Janky from the red com. That's the point I just want everybody to be able to understand, that there's a turning point because we now have inflation as the new storm. And they've been able to be so irresponsible before because there weren't really any, there wasn't any stormy economic weather. And all of a sudden now we're in an intense storm with the inflation they've caused by overspending.
7: Yes, and uh, I'm, you know, smarter minds than than mine can tell us where, exact how the crack-up, exactly when and how the crack-up is going to take place, but we're getting very close.
3: The crack-up being like some kind of collapse of our economy? Yes. But why would that, so what do we spend per year at, out of our federal government is that like five trillion dollars something like that
7: hold on i've got a, a uh treasury report uh right here i will um
3: well we don't need exact if you have a rough number off the top no of your i'm
7: uh I, I, i'm not talking exactitude um one trillion is a right a right rounded number isn't it
3: yeah i believe so
7: yeah it's a it's a it's a very neat and uh, easily comprehended round number. It's a, it's a one with many zeros. So the federal government, um, through the fiscal year to date, so that is eight months, received three point four billion dollars and spent three
3: point eight.
7: Okay. Okay. So that Oops. that's what's going on here. And spending three
3: point eight, that in the last yeah, I don't. It's too many numbers for people to follow. But I'm I'm just looking to get to the essence of a point, which is that if we spend roughly five trillion dollars a year, if the federal government spends five trillion dollars a year, and a trillion of that is money that isn't collected, that's that's inflationary then they need to cut back on 20% roughly of their spending, which, of course, is a crisis. But is that not a doable thing?
7: Uh, I think when you think about compound interest. Mm-hmm. So the national debt um, increased from $17 trillion to $24 trillion during the shutdown and mm-hmm. pandemic basically february twenty twenty through
3: thirty so we're at thirty okay, yeah,
7: so that's seven trillion dollars of additional debt now, because interest rates were virtually zero, the national interest cost did not increase. It was right. about five hundred and fifty
3: so now we're going dollars. to have uh, exploding uh, costs of renting the money.
7: Yeah, it it didn't cost because there is no interest rate.
3: Now, okay. we've we've got to wrap it up, up because we're out of time. So I'm just trying to uh bring bring us to an end point here. Uh so you're saying we've got to start watching what's going on in Washington fiscally and it's going to be bad news over the next year.
7: Well, then, let me put it very simply and take it ten back seconds. where we began, uh the chairman of our largest bank said uh a short time ago, that we're headed into a hurricane.
3: Yes, and that is where we started off. And okay, now we understand the hurricane a little bit better. Red Janky, thank you, sir. Visit the-red-line.com. Let's get traffic update news.
0: His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hiya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. Hi-ya!